How would you all describe 1500 of Nothing's role in shaping Nipsey's sound? Because it's such a distinct and signature sound when you hear it. Fly Crippin. Facts. <laughs> so fly-ass niggas. We was always flying high school and middle school. Best dress. We always had a clean shirt on. It, it, it's all a representation of just your swag. High Right, level. even if it was just a white T-shirt. Yeah. We got the freshest white T-shirt. <laughs> like, dang, I ain't never seen a T-shirt so white. Yeah, it's excellence of like feeling your best in L.A. Like when you, when we make them, like he always wanted the music to where you put your Rolex chain on and drop the top and you dry down PCH, just how you, you're supposed to feel at your best. And that's the type of music we always made for Nipsey specifically, which is fly crippin'. That's why he say sound like it look. What's good, y'all? This is the King of Crenshaw from 30 for 30 Podcast and The Undefeated. I'm Justin Tinsley. And I want to personally thank you for tapping in with our bonus episode. I call it the Extra Lap. One of the big discussions around the making of this podcast was about the music. Not just Nipsey's music and how we use that, but also what we wanted the overall sound to be. You know, the vibe. The guys you heard up top, Lawrence Dobson and Lamar Edwards, known as Rance and Mars, are a key part of Nipsey's sound. You may know them as 1500 or nothing, the Grammy-winning production team. 1500's worked with everyone from Jay-Z, Alicia Keys, and well, now, 30 for 30. And besides giving us the best soundtrack possible, Mars and Rant shared their stories from all those years inside the studio with Nipsey. And we had to share it. So let's get into it. Nipsey, Mars, and Rance didn't just magically land in a studio together. First time I met him, uh, <laughs> it was in a gangbanging situation at my school. <laughs> and I'll never tell that story. Because some stories never leave the streets. In the mid-2000s, Nipsey, Rance, and Mars reconnected through a mutual friend. And because game peeps game, when the young men got together, Rance and Mars invited Nipsey to a workshop for producers. One time, me and Mars, we decided to have this producers camp where I had everybody come to my mom and dad's house in Fox Hills to where I had all the tightest producers. Now, Nipsey was not a producer. He was not the guy who put the musical layers together. He was a rapper, and he was focused on lyrics. But because a hungry young rapper is nothing without the right beats, Nipsey took full advantage of the moment. So everybody from Siege to Chorus to Jelly Roll to Battle Cat, Nipsey was smart because he was the only rapper that came. Only artist, period. Only artist that came <laughs> to my house. So that day he immediately had all the best people that made beats. So he was just trying to figure out who are all these new niggas <laughs> with all these tight beats. Nipsey soon adopted Mars and Rance's studio as his musical home base. And this is when his sound really began to evolve. They just needed one more piece. Well, two, actually. I'm Mike. And this is Keys. And we're Mike and Keys. 1500 or nothing called in another set of producers. Mike and Keys. Now, if this sounds like a lot of cooks in the kitchen, it's not. Let's break this down a little. Mars and Rance. We make samples that sound real from the 1940s and up. Live instruments are their thing. I'm talking keyboards, pianos, you know, 
all of that stuff that makes you feel like you're driving down the Pacific Coast Highway with the top down. Hip-hop production duo Mike and Keys, on the other hand, make beats that really hit you in the gut. I like how their drums bang, and, and they, they swag with their drums. The guys create with original beats, samples, hooks from other songs, basically anything they can vibe with. They're the masters at finding hidden gems. The things that after someone tells you, yo, guess what that sample is? Your mind is blown. And you're like, they did what now? Me and Mars was like, yo, we let's just start a little super group and, <laughs> and make samples that nobody could make because they can't play the piano or they don't know the right sounds that sounds believable and let them go crazy on the sample. And then after that, we do overdubs and then make it really sound real. It was all about how these two sets of producers complemented each other and Nipsey. You see, Nipsey's sound from the jump was about painting vivid pictures through lyrics. And with 1500 and Mike and Keys, that pure West Coast refined gangster magic happened. Yeah, new Nipsey hustle, check me out. You in trouble, check me out. Pay us now, check me out. Pay me double, check me out. The world first heard this combo in 2013 on Nipsey's $100 Crenshaw mixtape with the track Check Me Out. That was like our first real vibe studio session with Nip. This is Mike from Mike and Keys. We had went to the studio with Dom Kennedy that day, and Dom was like, man, we got to make Nipsey a banger. Mike and his partner Keys were working with L.A. rapper Dom Kennedy that day out of 1500 to Nothing studio in Inglewood, and so were Mars and Rance. I remember we was in the L.A. brand in Inglewood. We were in the studio, and... That's we had. I mean, Cobby Supreme was in the studio, Dom Kennedy. That was just a normal day, us being in the hood, in Inglewood, smoking weed, doing our regular shit, and, and it just came out like that. Just a normal day in the life of Mars and Rents. A ton of talented folks just hanging out at their spot. And on that particular day, one of those guys was Nipsey's homeboy and fellow rapper, Cobby Supreme. Call it being at the right place at the right time. I had just uh, finished wrapping up my uh, my session, and uh, Nip called me like, where you at? I'm like, I'm at 1500. He's like, we finna come up there, him and Dom. I'm like, all right, cool. So once they got there, boom, he like, he like, bro, I, I need some weed. So boom, I leave the studio, go pick up some weed. And when I come back, uh, Mike and Keys and 1500 got this beat on. And as soon as I walk in, I'm like, that shit hard, I need to get on that. And Nip just point at the booth. I go straight inside the booth and you know, Nip like 6'5", I'm like 5'9", so that's the difference. <laughs> the mic is like damn near touching the roof. So boom, I, I, guess I get a little stool, step up on the stool, and you know, I spit that famous verse. Beliskiagas, no Gucci problems. Get money with Thomas, Louis V. Persona. Hit a nigga with a llama. You don't want them problems. I do my thing in the kitchen. See, that's a Pyrex vision. Everyone in the studio knew they had something special. And from that day on, Nipsey's core production team was set. I remember Nip being so excited, like, man, you guys is going to be my producers. Like, y'all, you guys are my sound. He used to always say that, like, y'all my sound. So from that day on, if you really go look back, we've literally been a part of everything since that day. Mike, Rance, Keys, and Mars all got a feel for working together on Crenshaw. And then came the mythical project Nipsey had been talking about for what seemed like forever, Victory Lap. For the next five years, they would all work together to realize his vision. 
On Victory Lap, you know, I told Mike and Keys and 1500 as well. I just told them, like, you know, where I'm going and where, I, where I'm at right now, I want a soundtrack for it. You know, I want a soundtrack for my penthouse. I want a soundtrack for my Maybach. I want a soundtrack for my office space to just, I want to, I want the way I feel and think when I'm, when I walk in here and hop in my car and wake up in my spot and look mm -hmm. out the window. Like, I want to, I want the music to express the way I feel. I want it to be like, all right, not the specific of a nigga from the streets coming and being successful, but just a pursuit. You know what I'm saying? A long distance pursuit. And at the end of it, you know, embracing your victory. This album, he always was talking about, he wanted this to be like his last album where he did it for the streets. He didn't want to do it for for his new fans. This was an album for his old fans. This was like the final wrap up of how not to be a bitch ass nigga and how to be successful, literally. Yep, Nipsey was pretty clear about what he wanted. And that meant getting started early. Here's Mike. From 2013 to 2017, he used to pick us up every single morning. Mm -hmm. And we'd go eat and then, you know, be in our usual vibe. And then he used to be like, after seven o'clock, it's over. <laughs> after seven, <laughs> 7 p.m., it's over, buddy. Regardless of the hour, Nipsey had his process, his way. Here's Mars and Rance. I'll walk in the studio, like, I'm trying to get there before everybody. He's already there cleaning up. Like, like literally him, like cleaning up everything. Like whiteboard he had, set. He had freaking OCD like crazy. Like he was Book always set, clean right? up, put his put his books lined up the right way, <laughs> light the whatever, the candles, whatever, and sage, whatever. And then after that, hey Mars, you got a back? What's up? What's up? What we doing? <laughs> well, I would walk in a couple times. And he was watching us, uh, our Jay Z show that we did for Title. <laughs> just put, like just literally just watching us. He just paying attention to stage presence and what Jay-Z says in the middle of a song that keeps people's attention. Like he's someone that studies the detail of all the greats and not just the great artists, some of the greatest minds. Nipsey treated the studio like his own personal study hall. If you come in there trying to talk about some music, he's not gonna do that to you. He's gonna talk about like some cryptocurrency or something that has nothing to do with music. Mm -hmm. He was different. I ain't never seen no rapper on that vibe. And he's like, hey, so um, you should read this book right here. This is, you know, teach you how to be a better man. That's literally the majority of our studio session is what books we read and all the shit that we've learned. And we're just sharing knowledge. And then we might do a song and he might he might fall asleep the whole session right, and say, yeah, I'm going to double back, bro. I'm about, to gotta, I'm about to go get some fish. I'll be right back and never, and come, never back. come back. <laughs> you can ask anybody. If Nip says, I'm going to double back, that means he's not pulling up. But he'll be back early that next morning. He, he's up at eight at the studio ready to go. For sure. It worked out already. Nipsey's love for learning spilled into his musical process and the words he would eventually put to beats. He didn't rap for the sake of rapping. Hustle wanted his work to speak to the moment. The writing and the creative part of Nip was just very strategic. He wanted to make sure... He could talk about something, whether it was that same day that happened or something that happened in his life, something that happened with one of his homies, whatever, and how he can, you know, convey that with the with the song, you know, musically. Like I think that was like one of the main things and why we got the greatest songs from Nip, because he never lied. 
he was un- the most unorthodox artist we've ever worked with in our life because he only recorded when he was inspired and everybody that knows the nipsey studio vibe knows that so you know we had a studio with nipsey for three years you know what i'm saying so we knew all his studio moves and he didn't do nothing unless he was inspired mike and his partner key saw nipsey inspired plenty of times and it was fire when he was juiced about it he was all the way juiced Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was either he loved it or it was like, cool. It wasn't no like in between. So whenever we would catch him excited, then he would be excited about it. If he really likes something, he going to close his eyes and stand like next to the wall and just start like nodding his head. Because we would make beats in, the, in another room. If he really likes something, he'll he'll just barge in and be like, yeah, he don't up. care. Yeah, he don't even <laughs> care if it's somebody's session for real. Yeah, he don't care if it's hard. It's he's like, oh, who's that for? Yeah, that's for me, right? Even when inspired, a star player can still use a little push. Here's keys. From what I've seen, I don't think anybody could get him to record if it's Mike or Lawrence from 1500. That, those are the only people I've seen make him record. No one else could make him record. I played basketball and I was a basketball coach. I know little tricks and traits to, you know, convincing someone to do something. One thing I knew about Nip is he, if you challenged him, he'll take the challenge on. So that's how I used to get him to record. I would say little, you know, trickery things like, um, oh, you're not a real rapper. Real rappers rap every day. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Just little stuff like that that will bother him and it would just trigger him to be like, oh, you right. I am a real rapper. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, you can't talk about Nas, Tupac, Jay-Z and all these rappers and not be rapping. <laughs> and so that that right there would trigger him. Mike being able to push Nipsey came down to trust and timing. When Nip, we had got to a point to where he trusted us to just get everything done. We would get all the music done that we thought he would like and then present it to him. And then he would tell us what he liked and didn't like. And that was kind of like the process because, you know, music is a feeling. You can play some fire music for someone at the wrong time and it won't work. We had to learn when to play Nipsey music and when not to play it. As a music nerd, I live for these behind the scenes stories especially this one about a moment in the making of Hustle and Motivate. Mars kicks us off. And when I walked in the studio, Nipsey was asleep and they was playing a song. He turned around and like hopped up and was like, oh, what up, Mars? They played the song and I'm like, yo, who is this? He's like, oh man, some some, uh, some niggas with some trench coats just came in here and they just did the- <laughs> <laughs> and they just, they just did the hook. I was like, they don't have no names. I didn't know their names, bro. He didn't. He never told me their names. Nobody to this day still knows who it was. <laughs> Nobody, like, I'm, like it was one of those things where, you know, when you're creating songs and you're working with songwriters, sometimes you don't know the songwriters. Somebody just might come in and just do something dope. And it was one of those situations where. Some writers came in and did something dope. Even until like the last listening party that Nip did at Record Plant, he still was like, 
trench coat. <laughs> I don't know. They was like, who's on the hook? Like, damn, cause I don't know cuz his name. Like, but, he fired. But, but he fired though. <laughs> I'm like, alright. In February 2018. Nipsey unveiled Victory Lap to a packed house at the Palladium in L.A. After years in the studio, Nipsey's producers were ready to step outside the cocoon of their creative laboratory and see their work in concert. Right now I'm here at the legendary Nipsey Hustle concert. We're here at Palladium. I can't wait to see Nipsey Hustle do his thing. It's about to be crazy. I was actually supposed to be at that show, but my flight got delayed out of D.C., Trust me, I'm still pissed. It's a sensitive topic. But I'm not the only one who had trouble getting to the show. Here's Mike and Keys. Man, I just remember the day. <laughs> the funny thing is, um, the day we went to the concert, I remember it was tricky with the tickets or something. So we yeah. happened, we seen Nip in the back and he was like, what are you guys doing? Like, let's all walk in together. Like, this is y'all album too. If, if he didn't come out, we wouldn't have got in the concert. <laughs> Y'all just took my energy all the way to fuck up. I brought the whole album tonight. Can I perform my new shit for y'all LA? Nipsey was in his bag, and the crowd was hyping him up on each song. He came out here looking shabby, LA. It is his all-star weekend, right? We ain't letting no out-of-town shit go bigger than us, is we, LA? So when this next shit drop, make us feel at home. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, I know this shit, huh? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know this shit, huh? Girl, like, what the yeah. fuck is up? Hey! Yeah. New Nipsey, New Nipsey Hustle. Check me out! Check me out! Check me out! Check me out! Remember, this was All-Star Weekend in L.A., too. Anyone who was anyone in Los Angeles was at this show. Nipsey drew out half the hood for this concert, and damn near half the NBA, it felt like. And I'm looking at people that's on the side of the stage losing their complete minds. Jumping up and down like you know what I'm saying. I'm like, wait, that's that's a, uh, that's James Harden. It's like full basketball players and rappers and celebrities and people all around on the like like they more lit than Nip. Like, man, we here. We I'm, I feel like everybody was just like proud. I just remember him. He was just dummy juice. Like if you go look back at that concert, Nip was really nervous. It was so much adrenaline and energy yeah. from him. Like, oh, I finally, you know. So if you could tell, like, if you go look back, he was nervous, but <laughs> nervous for excitement. Yeah, he, he was he was joyful. He was joyful. Yeah, joyful. that was a, that was a proud moment I seen for him. Definitely. I never seen him like with that type of joy. I like y'all came to party or what? Anybody in this bitch been grinding their whole motherfucking life? I'll never forget the first time I pressed play on Victory Lap. I remember thinking, this is the one. He did it. He figured this shit out, just like he told me he would. 
Now check this out, LA. That's my time tonight, right? But the party just motherfucking started. This all star weekend 2018. Whoever can get to that car quick enough, hop in y'all motherfucking whip. Meet me in the front of this building. We gonna tear this motherfucking city up tonight. I'll see y'all in six seconds. Let's get it. He kept saying thank you. <laughs> he literally kept saying thank you to us. And I'm just like, thank you. Right. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> right, exactly. Thank you, bro. Like, like we did it. We just kept, I mean, y'all don't realize, I mean, half the stuff I can't even talk about. Yeah, all the stuff that we real. went through just because yeah. we're not bitch ass niggas and we don't snitch. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's so much we went through, bro. That was like, I dare you want to cry. Just, it, it feel like we just finally made it through we, we made it, man. We, most people our age don't live that long. And, That's real. and from where we from and, and, and do what we do to where we could help others and, and have all this type of success with Nipsey, that, and he's still in the hood and he's still got a store in the hood that he still got to go to, that we, we we broke the odds, bro. You could tell he was proud, but he was so thankful with everybody and just so like, man, cause like, did. man I appreciate you, bro. <laughs> like, da, 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 da. like, what? We're, <laughs> we're celebrating you right now. Like, yeah. like, come on, Nip. He was very appreciative of his team, for sure. I always think to myself every day, like, he could add any producer he wanted, but I think he chose us because of our loyalty to him. I think part of our relationship with Nipsey was the marathon because we were very patient in understanding what he was trying to do. So, you know, I always believe that great things come with time anyway. So if you get it fast, you lose it fast. As long as we continue to push people and pressure people into being better people and not bitch ass niggas, then the marathon is going to always continue and it's going to always be better because it's about evolution. You know, with the marathon continues, you know, Nipsey left a legacy to where, you know, work ethic and all that type of stuff, that's embedded in us now. So we got to mm -hmm. carry what he left off. Mm -hmm. It's our responsibility to do that now. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nip's the blueprint. We need more people that's actually saying something. So, you know, so many rappers that pass away that don't mean anything, that don't have a meaning, that don't have something that, that helps other people. And Nip was, he, he was probably one of the few that, that's ever did that. And we gonna follow his blueprint. Those are like all, all the questions I had on my list. Again, brothers, uh -huh. like I could do an entire episode just off y'all two alone. Shit, <laughs> I, can make, I honestly can make the whole series. You probably should. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. 
I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The King of Crenshaw was reported and hosted by me, Justin Tinsley. Senior producer is Joanne Griffith. Our production team, Gus Navarro, Dave King, and Derwin Graham. The series was edited by Julia Lowry Henderson, senior editorial producer for 30 for 30 Podcasts, and Steve Reese, deputy editor for The Undefeated. Executive producers, Aaron Layden, Brian Lockhart, Kevin Merida, and Raina Kelly. Additional production support, Meredith Hotnot, Mitra Caboli, and Eve Wolf. Original music by Lawrence Dobson and Lamar Edwards of 1500 and Nothing. A big thank you to ESPN's music supervisor, Kevin Wilson, for making the 1500 partnership happen. Mix engineering by Ryan Ross-Smith, Garrett Lang, and Ben Tolliday. Project manager and licensing, Chath Sankey. Jennifer Thorpe provided additional licensing support. Development, Adam Newhouse and Trevor Gill. Chantre K. Mack is our talent director. And Cherie Stevens, our associate talent director. Demi Lauren created the original artwork for the series. Roger Jackson provided fact-checking. Alan Lau provided legal review. Special thanks to Riley Bloom, Ali Tenti, Jonathan Larson, Anthony Salas, the team at Podville Media, and everyone who made time to speak with us for this series. <laughs>